3: Good afternoon and happy Monday to you, Dan Silio National Football Show. Here we are. I mean, that was a pretty damn impressive weekend when it came to NFL news, was it not? A lot of storylines coming out of the weekend. I want to start the show off by saying this to you. You know how people say, don't take preseason football and form an opinion on your team, player, or coach. It's like the the preseason doesn't mean anything. I don't subscribe to that. I think you can learn a lot of things. I think you can learn tendencies. I think you can see what teams are trying to accomplish. And for me, I learned a lot this past weekend. Now, obviously, the quarterbacks, the young quarterbacks, were front and center. I'll tell you something else that became very apparent, too, over the weekend. You know, coaches like Nick Sirianni, the young coaches like Sean McVay, Cliff Kingsbury, players like that are not going to play their starters a long time in the exhibition season. These new Turk young coaches, I mean, look at look at how many plays Jalen Hurts got for Philadelphia. Look how many plays that you know you saw a, a, a Cliff Kingsbury give Kyler Murray. I mean, Sean McVay's not even going to play. Matthew Stafford in the exhibition season. He said, as long as I'm here in Los Angeles with the Rams, I will never in any way put Matthew Stafford out there in an exhibition game. I'm not doing it. So, end of the day, that was something that's brand new. That's something also that we're seeing because if you go with the old school guys, look at this, Bruce Arians, Tom Brady played, right? Cam Newton played up in New England. You know, I mean, the old school coaches are still playing their guys. And you're going to see those old school guys. It's almost old versus new. And that's kind of something that I took out of the weekend with these NFL coaches. The young guys do not believe in any way whatsoever that they're going to get out there and they're going to put their young players in any kind of harm's way, crippling what could be a great season for one of their football teams. I did learn a lot this past weekend. And, and, and for the record, when it came to performances, you know, I, I, I said this last Friday about Jalen Hurts. I said, you know, I, I don't think he played bad. I don't think he played poorly. I don't think he played exceptional. I think he played within the system. I was more impressed with Nick Sirianni in a way. And now we had the sidelines. Because I'm going to hit on this. If you watch that Jacksonville Jaguar game over the weekend, the Jags look terrible unorganized sideline had some chaos. I mean, Trevor Lawrence didn't look all that hot. We'll we'll talk about that here in a minute, but end of the day, I mean, you could really get a sense of what football teams have really great coaching and the coaches that still have a long way to go. So we're going to hit on all this. And by the way, I do. And I wrote down some notes on all the rookies that kind of impressed me that were playing this past weekend. So I'm going to get to that here in a second, but I do want to say this from CBS sports, former CEO of the Oakland slash Los Angeles Raiders. Our friend, Amy Trask will join us. We'll talk some NFL football with her. That'll be at the bottom of the hour. Then in hour. Number two, our friend Howard Eskin. And I'll get his sense of what he's seen so far with Nick Sirianni, what he's seen so far with, you know, Jalen hurts. Um, you just get a temperature of what's going on with Philadelphia. Do you think he needed to play him a little bit more? I'll say this to you, too, about Nick. There's no doubt he wants to go plus 25 when it comes to throwing the football down the field. Okay? Make no mistake about that. That's something that became evident. I mean, he had his goalpost to the back of Jalen Hurts, and he still threw, threw the football plus 25 down the sidelines. So we'll talk to Howard Eskin from WIP. That'll be In hour number two. All right. So let's get into some of these performances that we saw over the weekend. And I'm going to go with five. I'm going to go with these guys. I'm going to go with Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, and Trevor Lawrence. I hit on last week some of the other guys that we saw play. Like Jalen, I said, you know, some things about him. I also said some things about Mac Jones. But I want to hit on something else with him as I rank like the rookie guys as they really had their first you know line of fire so to speak stuff this past weekend. Let me start it out with 5 here in Trevor Lawrence with the Jaguars. 6 and 9 71 yards. He was sacked twice actually. He was sacked on the first play of the game in his first NFL career play he was sacked. 90.5 quarterback rating. I thought it was rocky. But then again, I think that coaching staff is rocky. Trevor Lawrence The question is going to be this. Do we question the talent around him? I I so do. Remember something? When he was at Clemson, this guy had the best talent in the country around him. You know, Alabama, Ohio State, places like that. When you play in places like that, you've got first-rounders littered all over the place. You even got first-rounders that are on the second team. You got really great football players at a program like Clemson. So when... Trevor Lawrence goes to a place like Jacksonville and that talent is not around him. How many true playmakers does he have around him right now? And for that matter, how about the coaching? That thing looked a little suspect. I'm talking about the entire way that they went about their business. I mean, at the sidelines was chaotic. They had pre-snap penalties. That wasn't a good showing for the Jags. I thought they looked terrible. And like I said, if I were to, you know, talk about Trevor Lawrence's, you know, maybe a C-minus, I mean, here's, here's one thing, though, that I did take out of it. He knew where to go with the ball, okay? He knew where to go. And so, I, you know, if you if you take everything into consideration, the lack of skilled people around him, the lack of potential inexperienced coaching, I don't know what Meyer's asking him, but when he eventually had to make throws, he could make throws. So, if you take a silver lining out of that performance for him, you say this. Well, you 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 see it. He he understands where to go with the football, and as you could see, he's moving his head around too. So he kind of under, you know, he kind of understands what you know Meyer wants out of him and what Meyer's looking at it, you know, for him to move the chains. But I thought it was a little rocky to say the least, especially when it came to the skill set, guys. And as for the Tebow experience, I don't know. How about Ted Tebow didn't play one of the special teams? He didn't get one play on special teams. And for a third-team tight end, that's how he's going to make the team. I think that was very telling. I personally don't think we had uh, Jeff Lagerman on the show a couple months ago, who was part of the broadcast team for the Jaguars, and he doesn't think that there's any chance in hell that he makes that team. Now that I'm being told and after what I saw where he didn't have one exhibition snap on special teams, what the hell, dude? That's the only way you're going to make the team. You're not going to make the team as one of the top tight ends on that team. You can't block. It was evident just by the thing that went viral. He got in the way. It wasn't as bad as everyone else was saying, but, I mean, I don't see what that experiment is any longer. I know maybe he transitions into being a coach for Urban Meyer, but end of the day, I don't know. I have no idea why he's on that Jaguar roster right now. Uh, how about this? He's not qualified to be on that roster. I mean, let's just, let's just save for what it is, but it's Meyer's call. So Urban's going to put, and basically, he basically gave a roster spot for the exhibition season to somebody who didn't deserve it. That's what you could theoretically say right now, because that guy is not an NFL football player tied in. He was barely a quarterback tied in, or he was barely a quarterback prospect, let alone a tied end, and he's 34 years of age. Not enough of that, because that's not even really a story. All right, Mac Jones, I'll tell you something about Mac. Mac was 13 to 19, 87 yards. He was sacked once too, 78 78-2 in quarterback rating. Of all the guys and all the rookies that are going to get snaps this year, and guys that are going to play, would it shock you if the Patriots won 11 ball games with Mac Jones as a starting quarterback? I mean, you know, I said it last week. This offense is really not set up for him. He's a drop-back guy. He's more of a quarterback that relies on getting back into a seven-step drop. And so when I watch him play, he's not going to take off and get yardage. What's the strength of that football team, the Patriots running the football, right? They're going to run the football, play great on defense, rush the passer. Their secondary is as good as anybody with Stefan Gilmore back there, the 2019 defensive player of the year. He's a spectacular football player. Maybe they're a little light in getting people on the ground when it comes to pass rushing, but they got a lot of their opt-ins now from last year and people who didn't want to play because of COVID. I can see the Patriots winning a lot of games this year. Now, is that with Mac Jones? I'll say this to you. I think Cam Newton has got to show the Patriots a lot more this camp to keep his job if he wants to be the starting quarterback for the Patriots in September. I think he has to show them that he can win ball games. He's got the offense. He was only in there for a little bit this past week as well. So – It wasn't like we got a great observation of Cam. But Cam's going to be better this year. Remember, you know, COVID-19 also hit him last year between the eyes. Knocked him out for basically three games. I know he missed one, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. But it cost the Patriots three games there. And they were playing pretty decent football at that time before Cam ended up getting sick with coronavirus. So, but still, the passing game last year was atrocious in New England. I mean, it was one of the worst passing offenses in NFL history, and that was clearly the worst year Cam has ever had as a starting quarterback in the NFL. I think he's got to show that he can make plays on third down, and I'm not talking with his feet. Nobody questions Cam Newton moving the football with his legs. I think last year he got 10 touchdowns Right when it came to running the football. I think that's the third time in his great career that he's gone over the double digit mark when it comes to rushing touchdowns. That's not how you're going to win ball games. You're going to end up hurting yourself, hurting the team. Then you're going to have to put Mac in. He might not be ready yet, but I was impressed with Mac. I put him at number four when it came to performance. I thought he was pretty decent and he understood Josh McDaniels offense better than I thought he was going to. So I was good with it. I, 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 I liked what I saw from, from Mac Jones. And you know what you can also tell? You can also tell that he's been around really great coaching. You know, he read his progression, so I was good with it. And, and again, I'll tell you something else that's becoming more evident, too. These young quarterbacks that are coming into the league today, they are so smart. I mean, they these guys understand offense and now going to these Peyton Manning quarterback schools or these David Cutcliffe schools down at Duke, I think are essential. Guys are throwing the football, you know, at a very early age nowadays compared to what they were doing back in my days. So these kids look way more prepared. And I'll tell you something else that's becoming more evident. I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing a lot of young head coaches in the National Football League is because they're taking the philosophy of the college systems and they're intertwining it with NFL offenses. That's why you're seeing coaches and you're seeing guys like Sirianni or you're seeing Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland or you're seeing Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay who have set the tone for this. Where you're you've got young guys who have taken the fact that you have to win games from the pocket, but they're also doing the run pass option with some of these very skilled guys. and. I, I, I tell you, it's really a renaissance that's going on. You know, it's kind of like what Nick Saban did on the fly. The NFL is doing it now. Here, go with me on this. So Nick Saban, his entire career, when he was at Toledo, when he was at Michigan State, when he was at LSU, and really the first part of Alabama, what was he? Three yards in a cloud of dust. You know, didn't throw the football around the yard. But then in the process, people were starting to make offensive plays against his defense that he had no answers for. And he wanted some of that. So that's why Lane Kiffin was brought in. Lane Kiffin was brought in to change the entire offense in Alabama, and he did. And Sarkeesian took it to another level. But when you have young guys like that coming in, imagine what he did. He was still winning national championships, and he was changing on the fly. That's what's going on in the NFL right now. They're taking some of these ideologies that college football has, and that's why, here, Jalen Hurts in the NFL 15 years ago had no shot of making it. There's no way he makes it in the NFL. Jalen Hurts today, Kyler Murray today, these guys have potential to make ball clubs. One of them has the potential to be a star in this league. And it's because of the way they protect the quarterback and the way they're coaching the quarterback today. Lamar Jackson, in the era of John Elway and Joe Montana and Dan Marino, he's not playing in that era. You've got to throw the football down the field. Okay? Nowadays, they're going to give you Patrick Mahomes. Not that he takes off a lot. Patrick Mahomes had that same type of system that Cliff Kingsbury taught him when they were both at... Texas Tech, and Andy Reid is taking a lot of what they did at Texas Tech and implementing it into his offense. You have to say, Reid's offense in Kansas City is completely different than what Reid's offense was in Philly. And McNabb was a heck of a player. But Mahomes is a heck of a player, and then some. So that's what we're starting to see with these young guys. We're seeing these guys really get into the game and really into the game plan a lot more. All right, so I got I got Mac Jones there at four. I'm going to tell you something about Zach Wilson. I was critical of him last week because he had a very poor inner scrimmage with another football team. I forget who he was scrimmaging against, the Jets quarterback they just drafted at a BYU. Went 6 to nine, 63 yards, 86.8 QB rating. Not really looking at all that, but I'm just throwing the numbers out for context here. I'll tell you something about the kid. He looks kind of tiny in the pocket, but he can make the throws. He reminds me a little of breeze back there. He can whip it and a little stronger arm maybe, but you know what I, what I took away from watching Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson can make the throws. You know, I saw him throw an out pattern. Very nice. i come across the middle. I throw, I, I saw him throw a seam route. Very good stuff. So, uh, Just a little bit of what I saw of him, I thought he was pretty good in that football game. I thought the guy that really struggled, and I'm not really ranking them in their performances. I'm ranking them in conversation. So Trey Lance was 5 of 14, 125, had one giant play, and he was sacked four times. 93-7 quarterback rating. 5 of 14. This kid's got some work. Do you know how many passes? He's completed in the last year and a half, two years, basically, 23 passes. He's completed. 23. I don't know about you. He just hasn't had enough time. How you put him at number three, I mean, look, I'm not a talent evaluator. I just play one here when I broadcast. (laughs) But... I don't know. I mean, there was a flash play and then some horrible plays. He's not very good in the pocket right now. Guys were pressuring him up the middle. That's the number one area where young quarterbacks struggle is up the middle with middle pressure. Yeah, you know, Outside pressure, you can get away with it with your athleticism. The problem that you get is that quarterbacks are looking down the field, especially when you're so young. You're looking down the field, right? And you're not seeing the guy, actually, that's right in front of you there. Middle pressure so tough on a young player. And Trey Lance got sacked four times in that ball game. Boy, man, that was a lot. He He didn't have a sense at all in the pocket. Had very little sense in the pocket. So for me, I was like, wow, man, that's got to improve. So he hasn't really had a lot of completions over the last two years. He hasn't had a lot of reps. He's struggling at seeing interior pressure. 49ers, you know, they could keep telling you how impressive he looks in drills, and that's a guy that would look good in drills. But when you apply that into a game and you see four sacks, um, five of 14, he makes a flash play, and you're like, wow, that's great. But the other intangible parts of the game, not seeing the rush, not being very accurate. This is what you didn't want to have happen. Him show that he's not very accurate. He doesn't have a pocket presence. He has to make plays with his legs instead of his arm. He can't throw his team out of trouble. That's kind of what I saw with Trey Lance. So to me, of all the guys who played that were rookies this past weekend, I say to you that Trey Lance showed that he has uh, the longest way to go. Now, look, could he improve? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but to me, he needs a lot more reps and I'm an old school guy. I think the only way you get better is, you know, I I don't know how people don't think that, you know, the more you do something, the better you get at it. I mean, right. I, I mean, I, I, I understand the young head coaches that are in the NFL today. And I understand that they don't really like to throw their guys out there right now because they want to get into the regular season. Albeit, I get it. But the only way you get better especially in the NFL, is if you keep continuing to practice what you're being asked to do. And he needs a lot of work, man. Trey Lance, he just needs a boatload of work. All right. That leads me to Josh Fields here. I want to make this, and this is what I love on what I do. Do you remember how critical? Do you remember how critical I was on Justin Fields when he came out of ohio state ohio state's never produced a quarterback in 132 years of that program's history that was an nfl star why am i going to believe that he's the guy i saw him struggle against uh, northwestern i saw him struggle against indiana i didn't not not massive struggles but i saw him not make plays and i saw his toughness in the final four games semifinal games there's no question about it i'll tell you though Matt Nagy has done something, and maybe it's because he's under pressure. 14 to 20, 142, 106.7 quarterback rating. I thought he was really good. See, what you're going to get with me, I'm not going to try to jam that narrative in that he sucks. When I see somebody that proves me wrong, I point it out almost immediately. And he played well. There was this. How about this? They even gave him a standing ovation when he left the field because Chicago hasn't seen a lot of quarterback play. I brought this stat up to you last week. Do you know that the last time the Chicago Bears had an all-pro quarterback? It was Sid Luckman in 1950. They haven't had an all-pro quarterback since 1950. He moved around. Um, There were some things that needed to be worked on, but I thought he was damn good. And if I were Chicago management, I'd start the guy, Andy Dalton. Where am I going with that? Andy Dalton's not going to save the head coach or the GM's job. He's just—they're not just—they're not. So the bottom line is, why don't you start him? All right. We are going to go around the NFL with all these topics with our friend Amy Trask from CBS Sports. She's the former CEO of the Raiders and. I'm sure she's got a lot to say. We'll talk to her. Don't forget Howard Eskin. will do some Eagle talk in hour number two. All coming up here on this Monday out of a great football weekend. You keep it here on the National Football Show.
4: I get scared sometimes.
5: Of a lot of things.
4: Joining in.
5: Decisions.
4: The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say.
5: But as I always say.
9: it's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome
3: back to the National Football Show, Dan Sullivan. Make no mistake about it. You know, these young quarterbacks, I just got through talking about their performances this past weekend. The intel is so overwhelming. Okay? It is is just so overwhelming. When you're handed a NFL playbook, these coaches are going to inundate you so much with intel. This is why the OTAs and those minicamps are important, because what they'll do is, they'll just fire as much information as possible at you. And they're trying to see how much of this information that you retain and that you can apply on the field. Training camps are more mental than sometimes even physical. And today, with the NFL being the way it is, it is more of a mental case because you you have so many complex defenses that you have to dis- dissect if you're a quarterback. If you're a defensive football player – Think about this for a second. If you are a defensive-minded guy on the other side of the football, look at all those complex set schemes that you have to go and you have to dissect on the fly just like that. Okay? I mean, you as a defender here, you have to understand when you see like a weak side set or you see big splits in the middle, you see wide splits. What are they trying to do? All of this stuff has to become second nature to you because every football team that you're going to play against these offensive coordinators and these defensive coordinators are so brilliant. And what they do, they attack weakness, constantly attacking weakness. So when you're seeing players, sometimes, you know, I watched Trevor Lawrence and Trevor Lawrence had a little trouble a couple of times when he was reading his progressions. That's because Everything's going to lag right now until he gets into a comfort zone like he was at Clemson. You know, I tell people this all the time. You know, a lot of these quarterbacks who are now playing for these teams like Zach Wilson with the Jets and Justin Fields with Chicago, it really matters where you land. And what I mean by that is if you've got great coaching around you, you're going to benefit the most from being around that great coaching. All right. I cannot wait to talk to our friend here, Amy Trask, from CBS Sports. It's been a while, and we welcome her aboard the National
10: Football Show. Amy, how you
3: doing, my friend?
10: I'm doing well, and thanks for having me, and thanks for being so gracious to use a sock puppet so you don't have to see me on the screen.
3: Oh, my God. I can't wait to tell Cube that tomorrow. By the way, Cube's coming on tomorrow, and I wanted to thank you, for our great relationship. It's gotten better and bigger and bigger and bigger each and every single year. And before we start out with any football, how is Big Three going?
10: Well, and I was just about to say, let's touch on the Big Three first and let me thank you for your support of the league. Uh, We are now three weeks from the end of this season. We, of course, had three seasons under our belt heading into the fourth season, which was ended before it started due to the pandemic, as was the case for so many businesses, so we're in our fourth season now, and the playoffs are are going to start soon, and the championship will be in the Bahamas, and the teams are fighting like crazy to get there
3: you know Amy, you know the pandemic I asked cube this a couple months ago. you know I think coaches in every single sport managers everyone learned how to manage a pandemic, and you had to manage a pandemic. One last question on this. What did you guys learn coming out of that? Because you guys did have to reset a little bit, like a lot of other leagues had to reset. What was the biggest takeaway from last year?
10: Well, I would say I'll answer that in two ways. Different for us, of course, than for an established league like the NFL or the NBA. We were in startup mode, a startup entity. We had only three seasons under our belt. We had the wind at our back. So quite different for us to lose a season than a league, uh, which had been around for decades and decades and decades. But here's what I've learned. And it's not unique to the pandemic situation. It's just learning it again in the context of a pandemic. What matters when you're fighting challenges are the people with whom you are working. And we have such a strong group. Uh, we, We just put our nose to the grindstone and find a way to get it done. And that's what this season has been.
3: I, I, I can't wait to see the championship. And by the way, I can't wait to talk to cube tomorrow as well. This has been a grand slam, big three basketball. Let me take you into some football here. And Amy, you're sitting in a room with the Raiders and I want you to take us back and, when, and I want you to tell the folks out there when it comes to constructing rosters, You know, you can't have first and second rounders like you can in the NBA all up and down your roster. I didn't realize this until Jimmy Johnson told me this. Half of your roster is most likely going to be undrafted guys or free agents just so that you can balance that salary cap. How tough is it to manage that, especially when you have a cap that came down to build a football team and to deal with all of that as you're constructing a team that's supposed to try to win this year? and get better when you've got to manage money. Because it looks like to me, that could sometimes get in the way of building a roster.
10: Well, of course, the rosters are far, far bigger, larger in the NFL than they are in basketball or baseball. You've got 53 men, but in training camp, you've got 90. I mean, you've got a lot of men on the roster. Three separate issues. There's the talent, and some people believe in having a roster primarily with young players. There are people who like veterans You know, look, you know this well, the person in charge of the roster during my years with the Raiders was Al, and he had, you know, he liked rookies who could play, but he also had a tremendous, tremendous respect for veterans. Then you raise the issue of the cap, and you raise the issue of cash, and I always remind people as we talk about this, we always hear cap, 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 cap. Well, the cap is a system of accounting. And you can make smart accounting decisions, you can adjust on the fly and make accounting decisions, you can make up for poor accounting decisions, but you don't hear people talk as much about cash. And cash really matters. The gap between the highest revenue club and the lowest revenue club is extremely significant. During my years in the league, We were, you know, we received financial information on every single one of the 32 teams, and they were divided into categories by quartile, the top quartile, Hmm. the second, the third, and the fourth. And the gap in available cash is extremely significant. And of course, the more cash you have, the better able you're, the better you are able to juggle your cap accounting. So all of that matters when composing a roster.
3: I want to take you to the Raiders. Um. 19 and 29 since John's been there. I know, listen, relocation is going to be a factor in any time you're talking about, you know, a football team having to move. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. It's going to be task on the players, the coaches, the front office. I mean, the equipment managers, everybody, that's going to play a factor. But what's your sense, Amy? I mean, 19 and 29, they're progressively getting a little bit better. Is this a big year for John?
10: Well, it is. It's a big year for the whole organization. It's the first year in Las Vegas in which fans will be admitted into the stadium. So the reason I note that is, of course, the team relocated and played last year in Las Vegas, but due to the pandemic, there were no fans in the stadium. I think those magnificent Raider fans are going to help with a couple of wins. I really believe that. There's going to be games that could go either way, games that are close, and those Raider fans are going to create an advantage for the team that should help with a win or two. Um, Look, there were times after we played games that I walked through the stands and in the parking lot and thanked the fans and said, you participated in helping us win this game. You were so loud when the opponent had the ball. You you forced turnovers. You kept them from converting on third. You know, the fans are going to help. The other thing, of course, obviously, that needs to be addressed is defense. The team looked good on offense last year. The defense didn't get it done. The team acquired a lot of new defensive players, both through free agency and the draft. And if the defense can come around to just a significant improvement. This is a team to watch out for.
3: Two last questions for you, Amy. I'm going to take you to Green Bay here. There was a situation. Now, listen, I could be totally wrong because you were in the room for this. There looked like there was a little bit of friction between Al and Marcus Allen. So there was a player that was on the roster that everybody had to deal with an issue. I think you'd be perfect on this. How would the Raiders and how would you guys have handled this Aaron Rodgers scenario? Because there's no doubt he's the most important. Not that Marcus wasn't important, but we're talking quarterback here. How did did you see the, the way Green Bay handled this? And were there mistakes made that you maybe wouldn't have made there without if you guys were dealing with Aaron Rodgers?
10: Well, the Marcus situation was extremely, extremely early in my career, like right, right, right at the beginning, and I wasn't in those rooms. So I don't think it's appropriate for me to surmise or offer conjecture. I did talk with Al about it over the years, prevailed on Al to try to make amends. I never succeeded in that regard. So let me draw a different comparison for you, which is the manner in which the Packers handled the Aaron Rodgers situation when drafting another quarterback versus the way Kansas City handled the situation when drafting Patrick Mahomes. Alex Smith was on the Chiefs' roster. You know what the Chiefs did? They picked up the phone. They took Alex Smith into their confidence and said, look, you got to keep this quiet. We can't let this out publicly for strategic reasons, but we don't want you surprised. We don't want you learning about this with the public, so here's a heads up. We want to draft Patrick Mahomes. And you know what? Alex Smith was a mentor to Patrick and did everything he could to help Patrick succeed. And that's why Patrick thanked Alex publicly for all he did after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Compare that to Green Bay. You know how Aaron Rodgers learned they drafted another quarterback? The same way you did on television. And that's just not the way to treat a player, certainly not one who's as significant to your organization as Aaron. Look, say what you may about the relationship between Al and Marcus and where that went wrong. There were days during the draft, I remember one instance in which Al personally said, wait a minute, don't send that draft pick in yet until I call the player, we're trading to make this pick. And Al picked up the phone, And personally called a player that we were trading so he wouldn't learn about it on TV. And this wasn't a player who was as significant to the roster as Aaron is. So, you know, I I think that the Chiefs did the right thing in the manner in which they handled it.
3: And inside of a minute here, what
10: would you do with Jimmy G? Oh, wow. That's a great question. And I look forward to talking with you again when there's more time for us to do so. Look, I have said this repeatedly about Jimmy G. He's not the guy I want to turn to and say, it's all on your shoulders. Load this team on your shoulders and find a way to win. And I was very careful, and I have been, and I will be very careful to say, he's not a bad quarterback. I've never said he's a bad quarterback, but he's not the quarterback I want to turn to when someone's got to put an entire team on their shoulders and find a way to win. By all appearances, it looks that Jimmy is being as gracious and as helpful and as much of a teammate in San Francisco as Alex Smith was in Kansas City. And if that's the case, he's going to help them transition to a younger quarterback. If I'm the 49ers and I get a tremendous, tremendous offer for him from a team that needs a quarterback, I do it.
3: Absolutely. I mean, the guy's missed 53% of his game, but he is 25-8, and as a starter when he's in there and he's healthy. Amy, I really appreciate you taking time. I'll make sure cube knows that you gave him a shout out and hopefully we could do this again. Thank you so much, Amy.
10: Thank you for having me. And let me tell you what a fortunate young woman. I know I am having had an opportunity to work for Al and now for cube, um, men who do things the right way when it comes to business.
3: Absolutely. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. You got it. Our friend, Amy Tras from CBS sports. She's also the president of big three basketball. We'll take a brief time out. we come back. We'll hit on some of the things that she said. You keep it here on the national football show. I get scared sometimes
5: of a lot of things
4: joining in
5: decisions,
4: the dark, the dark, but I once heard someone say,
5: but as I always say,
4: it's okay to be afraid.
5: As long as you face the fear
9: It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at goarmy.com. Welcome
3: back to the National Football Show, Dan Silio, Howard Eskin from WIP. We'll do a little Eagles football. That'll be in hour number two. Before we move on to some of the things that Amy said, by the way, you can catch her on CBS Sports. She's fantastic. And do you know how many jobs she's been offered already as uh, you know, just a person out there and a person that could run a football team? I know of four jobs she's been she's been offered to be the president of an NFL football franchise, and she's turned it down because she works for Ice Cube. And you did hear right. Ice Cube will join the show tomorrow. So we'll have the legendary Ice Cube on tomorrow. Um, I believe 5.30 Eastern time, Ice Cube will join us. I, I First, before we hit on a little bit of what Amy said, I, I do want to throw this out. I saw a story over the weekend, and it's from the San Diego Union Tribune. And the writer in there is Nick Canepa. And he's really one of the only guys that has the backbone to go out and actually report the truth when it came to Paul Taglebu. You know, I have said this, and a lot of people criticized me for this because I put this out on Twitter at the Celio Show. The only reason that Paul Taglebu made it to the Pro Football Hall of Fame is because they had to come up with some blue ribbon committee to put him in, and there is no question that my sources are telling me that Roger Goodell was the main factor in Taglebu being put into the Pro Football Hall of Fame because he was his apparent and he worked for Paul and he was Paul's right-hand man and this is Roger Goodell looking out for his boss. That man should nowhere be near the Pro Football Hall of Fame with all those legendary players. That guy was the main reason that we have brain issues that the league has refused to acknowledge. I've said this before to you, and I'm not going to go knee-deep into the conversation any longer. You know my feelings. Would I do it all over again? Absolutely. You ask any NFL guy that's ever played in that league if he would go through the potential damages that can happen because you play in that game if he would do it again. And I will tell you that almost every single guy per person and per player would absolutely do it again. My only contention has always been, well, you know what? It would have been nice to tell us a little bit more about the dangers instead of minimizing them or covering them up with Vicodins or Percocets or Valiums. Hey, anytime, get this, anytime you had a knee injury, they would give you painkillers. So you never knew how, how bad the injury was going to eventually become if you didn't get it treated by your trainer or a doctor. That's why most of those guys back in the day, you know why guys have three-year careers, most of them, is because when you get injured in that league back in the day, they put zippers on your knee. They didn't have knee scopes. Knee scope just came in when I came into the league. Actually, when I came into college football, knee scopes started coming in. Today, laser surgeries, you're up and you're ready to play. Look at Dak Prescott. Look at how fast these guys are up and going today when it comes to any type of MCL or ACL injuries. Guys are ready to rock and roll today. That's a great thing. That's technology. Do I think the league is doing a better job at protecting brain injuries today? I do. But I think it's because they have to, not because they want to. Do you think anybody wants to pay lawsuits out? Remember, the National Football League, everybody on Park Avenue's a lawyer including Roger Goodell, including Paul Tagliabue. Tagliabue was – and always remember this. I don't care what Roger Goodell tells you. You know all those hugs that Roger Goodell gives to players on draft day? He is paid by the owners. He is not looking out for the best interest of the players. He fundamentally can't. Spiritually, he may want to. Morally, he may want to. But he's paid by the owners. We don't pay him a cent. That guy makes $50 million a year. He's the highest paid non-owner in the NFL. That includes NFL football players. He makes more money than anybody that's not an owner. And he takes no hits on Sunday. So who do you think he's more loyal to? The players? They're going to go down the road of least resistance when it comes to CTE. So Taglebu, this story, and give it to Nick Canepa. It's a great story. Talks about how this Blue Ribbon Committee was made and how Paul Taglebu got into – If you remember, we were talking to Howard Balzer and Jason Cole as well and all of them. They're suspect in the fact that they don't believe that um, Paul Taglebu would have made it into the Pro Football Hall of Fame if it wasn't for that Blue Ribbon. They opened up another door for him, and that's how they got him in. That guy was a criminal when it came to how he handled the players. He may have done all the great things, increasing the wealth for the NFL owners, but at the end of the day, Paul Tagliabue was no friend of the players. He could tell you all they want. He's not. And they put him in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. How incredible is that? I mean, it just shows you uh, that the league and how they think of brain injuries. They put the guy into the Hall of Fame that was telling everybody, that eh, football doesn't cause anything. Dad, don't worry about that, which they ended up losing that lawsuit, by the way. All right, let's move on. That's a disgusting story. Way to go, Nick Canepa, for writing that story. So in Dallas, do we have a problem in Dallas? So the Cowboys got their news that they wanted to hear on the second MRI back on Dak Prescott. And the news was good that it's healing and things are moving in the right direction. It's actually the first time that I've ever heard a player go in, get an MRI, just to see how things were going. Most of the time, you go out and you throw the football. Michael Irvin was out at cowboy camp the other day, and he saw Dak Prescott throwing the football around with his left hand. What does that indicate? Well, obviously, there's some pain in that shoulder. Now, we just saw Jordan Love, who played pretty well. I'll talk about him a little bit later on in the program. Um, he went under uh, observations with an MRI. You know why? Because he hasn't thrown the ball. When you're a quarterback in the NFL and you haven't played in a long time, this is the collateral damage. Isn't it funny? It's got nothing to do with his injury. This has everything to do with his passing arm. The Cowboys contacted the Rangers, the Yankees. How do you handle sore shoulders when it comes to throwing too much? The only thing that you can do is rest. So the Dallas Cowboys are in a predicament here. Do you play him? Do you get him, you know, on the field or do you not? If I'm the Dallas Cowboys, you're paying that guy $42 million a year. That guy does not see the preseason in any way. I'll have organized scrimmages. I'll do whatever. We'll put him in game situations and practice. I am not putting him on a football field where that guy can get thrown on his shoulder. Or hypothetically, he's just diving for an extra yard. He lands on that shoulder, and he jams that shoulder, and he's out the first five games of the, of the year. The Cowboys would be devastated. If that ended up happening, you cannot not have that. The Dallas Cowboys don't have Dak Prescott on the team. That football team won't win five games. If Dak Prescott's on the football field for the Dallas Cowboys, that football team can win 10 games. Just look at their schedule. They could potentially win 10 games. Okay. So again, I I think there's a problem in Dallas, but how you resolve that problem in Dallas, rest. Now, I want to throw this at you, too, because of the young quarterbacks. And I tweeted this out. Did you see how much Justin Fields played in Chicago? I think he played two quarters. Nick Sirianni, I, I, did he play Jalen Hurts? Did he play him 20 plays? I don't think so. Okay, what would be the reasoning for that? And here, get this. If Nick Sirianni, the head coach of the Eagles, had said this, I'll talk to Howard Eskin about this. If Sirianni came out when he was asked the last two times, hey, do you feel comfortable – In naming Jalen Hurts as your starting quarterback going into the 2021 season. Nick Sirianni couldn't give you an answer. He says, we're getting there. He was asked the question twice and wouldn't answer it. Don't you think for morale inside the locker room? Don't you think for, I don't know, motivation for Jalen? Don't you think for stability? Let me tell you the difference in coaching here a little bit. Again, it's a question. It's not an indictment yet. Because the only thing that I'm doing right now is I'm kind of hammering on the process and not the results. We haven't seen any results yet. So, again, this is conversation here. I'm throwing out something for you to think about. At the beginning of the year, in around January, Brian Flores of the Dolphins was asked a question. He what about Tua's? Tua? Tua, Tua is our guy. We're—he's our number one guy. We're going to build this football team around him, and Tua is going to be our guy from day one of the start of the new year. The Miami Dolphins, by the way, the Miami Dolphins look like one of the best coach teams um, I've seen in a long time. That's a damn—that's a damn good coach team. That Dolphin team is coached exceptionally well. Attention to details. I mean, their backups didn't even get any penalties or maybe a couple. That's a damn well-coached football team. Brian Flores may end up being the best coach to come out of that coaching tree of Bill Belichick's if he can keep this thing going and he can find the quarterback. If he finds the quarterback, Brian Flores is going to have a good football season with with that Miami Dolphin team. So from day one, whether you think two was the guy or not, you may not think Tucker is the guy, but publicly and inside the locker room, that's all the players are hearing, Tua's is our guy. They may be kicking the tires on Deshaun Watson. Maybe they are. But the only thing publicly being said, which is not what's being said in Philly, is is, is hurt your guy. Well, I don't know. We'll get there maybe. Really? Okay, remember something on the missteps that they had in dealing with Carson Wentz. Instead of coming out saying Carson Wentz is our franchise quarterback, which they probably would have been able to at least raise the value, what did they do to be an open quarterback competition? Well, so you had an open, you were going to have an open quarterback competition between Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts, a guy that you don't believe can go into the 2021 season right now, as of right now, with Nick Ceriani as the coach, because he won't name him. That's been I'm, – I'm not making that up. This is from the coach's mouth here. Okay? This is from the coach's mouth. So when the coach says that, all right, when the coach says that stuff, I, I, I say, okay, well, bottom line comes down to this, though. Okay, so you play Justin Fields in Chicago two quarters, and you don't play Jalen Hurts but just a couple series. Why would you do that? You're not even sold he's your guy going into the year. He's earned nothing on that football team. The only thing he's earned is the right to take the most of the snaps with the first unit. And when you're limiting him that, he needs as much playing time as he possibly can get. I mean, I don't know how anyone else would look at it any other way. You're not going to give that guy enough playing time? You think you're just going to get him into the regular season and you're going to go out in your first game against Atlanta? That's going to – I don't know, man. I mean, I I look at how they coached him. Again, he didn't do anything wrong. I thought the sideline was good. But me, I'm going to do what they're doing in Chicago. I'm going to play him for two quarters. Now, this next game, if if Jalen Ertz doesn't play – more than two quarters in this uh, upcoming game because games two and three on your exhibition season are traditionally your pre, your, um, you know, dress rehearsals for the upcoming season, you know, one in four are you're trying to find maybe one or two guys potentially, but you've got to be in a position quite frankly, when you're, you're, you're evaluating that position, especially that position to see whether or not, you know, get him under fire. Now, obviously you're not really sold on Joe Flacco then because if Hertz gets hurt, then you're in a position where you're doing this. Okay, now we have to go out into the market. Now this is something that we totally didn't want to do because if you think about it, that quarterback room in Philadelphia is not very deep right now. And this is probably why that they didn't play him a lot in that game one. Because I came away from the first weekend. Look, at I, I have the list here. Zach Wilson played a bunch. Mac Jones played a bunch. Trevor Lawrence played a bunch. Trey Lance played a bunch. Justin Fields played a bunch. And of all the young quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts probably, probably played like some of the least quarterback over the weekend. And here's a guy that needed as many reps, if not more reps, than these guys. To me, once again, you know, I I know people are saying, well, you know, potentially, you know, Jalen Hurts is a guy that, you know, he he could be our – he's not going to be your face of your franchise. This guy's a stopgap dude because the Eagles are treating him as such, as a stopgap guy. Now, like I said, we'll talk to Howard from WIP in the second hour with this, but, I mean, you're not playing him. That guy should have played three quarters of football. But the reason he didn't want to play him three quarters is because you're not deep in the room. You don't have a lot of guys inside that room. Wouldn't that be something that the Philadelphia Eagles went out and traded with the Chicago Bears to bring back Nick Foles? Would you do something like that? I think, you know what? Think about that for a second. I want you to think about that. If you're... If you're the Eagles and Howie Roseman, do you call Chicago? Chicago wants to dump him. Bring him in. Have him back up. Jalen Hurts. No? Okay? I mean, we could say, I know some of you probably would say, we're, we're back in the position we were with Carson Wentz. Oh, no, I thought this guy was mentally tougher. Remember something? He dealt with Tua stuff. He was benched for Tua. Jalen Hurts can deal with this. I want to expand on that a little bit more. Also, talk more about Trey Lance, the 49ers. Not a very good outing for him. Howard Eskin from WIP will join us in hour number two. You keep it right here on the National Football Show.
4: I get scared sometimes.
5: Of a lot of things.
4: Joining in.
5: Decisions.
9: it's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at goarmy.com.
3: Our two dance silly on national football show everybody's talking about Bama, huh? My boy Joey B's telling me, look at Bama's success. Richard Todd, Ken Stabler, Namath back in the day under Bear Bryant. Then it went cold because then they started running the football more. And they got away from that. They went to option quarterbacks because that's what became fashionable in the game, running the triple option the Veer. So they got away, and that's what the Southeastern Conference was. I would say this. The Southeastern Conference got away from throwing the football because when you had Namath, Stabler, and Todd back in the day, those are traditional seven-step drops. What happened from 1970 all the way up until, like, I would say 1983? You know, really, until Steve Spurrier, in my opinion, until Steve Spurrier changed the way the SEC throws the football, it was Coach Spurrier that changed the entire way that the NFL looks at Southeastern Conference quarterbacks now. I mean, when he was at Florida, he threw the ball all over the joint. So, and speaking of Bama, by the way, Mike Canes have to take these guys on Labor Day weekend, number one for the fourth time in six years. That's impressive. That's That's exceptionally impressive that they are now the, you know, preseason number one team for the fourth time inside of six years, and I'll even throw this at you as well. Look at what they lost, too. My boy Krause is a gigantic Bama guy. But Check it out. Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, three guys in the offensive line that were all drafted exceptionally high, the quarterback. I mean, the offensive coordinator is now the head coach at Texas, and yet you're still number one. That is truly a statement to Nick Saban on how Nick Saban retools that team. You know, it is something like we had back in the day when Coach Jimmy Johnson and Howard Schnellenberger and Dennis Erickson were retooling the University of Miami. It was like that. You know, one day you would lose Michael Irvin, and all of a sudden you'd have Reggie Wayne. You know, one day you would lose this running back, and all of a sudden you would have Edger and James, Clinton Portis, uh, Willis McGahee. These guys were all in the backfield together. So, We had that same kind of thing going, but what Saban has done is that now you're in an era where you've got social media and now you've got the transfer portal. Pretty impressive. Um, Number two is Oklahoma. I think this is awesome for the Southeastern Conference. Think about this for a second. I want to show you this on teams in the South. I've got the top five teams. Ready? Bama, South. OU. Okay, South. Clemson, third, South. Ohio State is fourth, Midwest, Georgia's fifth, south. Every one of these football teams are in that corridor down with the Southeastern Conference in the ACC. The best football in the country is played in that part of the country. And it's showing up each and every single year. The top three teams pretty much don't or the top four teams pretty much don't change, right? Ohio State, Clemson. Oklahoma and Bama. They just, you can, you know, throw the names in a hat, pull them out and put them any way you want and order them in a preseason here. These four teams are probably going to be your four teams. Notre Dame, I think, was ninth. Notre Dame, Notre Dame's issues is in recruiting. It's the type of player that they get into Notre Dame. Do you notice Notre Dame has softened their schedule up? Look at some of the players that, some of the people that they play now that are on that schedule compared to what they used to back in the day. That, is, that schedule is so much softer and on top of that, they play the majority of their games at home. I mean, I think probably I think Notre Dame has eight home games this year and so that's what they're trying to load up on as many cupcakes as they possibly can playing some of their uh rivals USC's not the same, okay? I mean Michigan State is down. So they're gonna play as many of these teams as they possibly can and they're going to play some cream puffs on their schedule, not what they used to do back in the day. Notre Dame played everybody. Not everybody's going to school there any longer. Plus, this comes down to admissions. Notre Dame, you see, when Nick Saban recruits 20 guys to go to Alabama, those 20 guys go to Alabama. When Notre Dame recruits or Stanford recruits 20 guys, seven of those guys end up going to Stanford or Notre Dame because the admissions gets in the way. Notre Dame wants their cake and eat it. They want to try to win a national championship. They can't. They'll never win a national championship under the current way they do business. They're just never going to do it because the school doesn't want them to do it. The school still holds that the education is the most important thing when you go to Notre Dame. Okay, well, that's not the case at Alabama. Your degree is not the most important thing. Nick makes it an important thing but winning games. Do you think Nick Saban, if he had 100%, get this, if Nick Saban had a 100% graduation rate, but he had a 75% winning percentage, do you think he'd be fired? Of course he wouldn't. They won 100% when it comes to the win percentage, and 75% in graduation would be just as fine. It's not really about educating. It's about winning and kind of educating. So, yeah, I mean... Well, he graduated all those guys. And what was his win percentage? 500. Fire his ass. Nobody keeps jobs because you do the right thing. <laughs> I mean, but that's pretty impressive. I give it to... Um, I, I, I do. I, I give it to um, Nick Saban. Fourth time in six years. All right. Let's get back over to this, this comment that I made going into the timeout here. And that is... Um, if you're the Eagles and you look at Jalen Hurts, do you truly feel comfortable going into the upcoming 2021 season? And do you feel comfortable in a division that might be winnable? And the only reason, now look, I do think the NFC East is going to be better. I think it's going to be better Do you make a move for a quarterback? Take a look at this, for instance. Okay, well, if Jalen doesn't cut it, you're going to Joe Flacco? That's your answer? What if this guy sucks out loud in the first three games? you got 14 more games to go. You feel comfortable going into the 2021 year not having a viable backup. You feel okay with that. Knowing that this guy here is not even one, the head football coach's approval yet. You feel okay with that. Again, at the bottom of the hour, we'll talk to our friend Howard Eskin on this. Because, I mean, what's up? What's the holdup here? What is the holdup here? When it comes to naming him. So, to me, do you go get fools? You're surely not going to bring in Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay, the conversation of Deshaun Watson, everybody still has to wait and see how this thing's going to play itself out in the courts and also in the court known as Park Avenue, the NFL head offices, and what the commissioner's going to do. Hey, as we get closer to the start of the regular season, the Texans are going to have to make some decision, and so is the league. I mean, we're, we're like a couple weeks out from that decision. He's not played at all. So there's no question he's not going to be ready for the upcoming season. You're not even going to have him on the active roster. So what does the league do? Put him on the commissioner's exempt list? Is he, I mean, are you suspending him? How can you suspend a guy when there's been nobody talking about a crime yet? Only potential of crime. Where's the union in this? Where are the Eagles in this? So this week and next week, in my opinion, for the Eagle quarterback, we're going to find out here a little bit how much truly the Eagles really believe that this guy's the guy going into the season. Personally, I think he's struggling a little bit, and I think that's one of the reasons why the coaching staff is a little bit suspect on handing the keys to him. Okay? And I don't mean struggling when he's on the field and they put him in a position to succeed at some of the plays. I'm talking about, do you feel comfortable with that guy knowing the entire playbook? Remember, this is not the same Doug Peterson offense as a year ago. So this is a brand new system for him that he's learning too, which means new audibles, which means new pass probing schemes, which means new fundamental formations. All of that last year that he learned – Under Doug Peterson, that stuff's out the window. Mixer Annie brought a brand new offensive system into the room. He's got to learn that all over again like he's learning a foreign language. Not that easy. Not that easy. All right. Let me go into Trey Lance here. And we talked a little bit about him. And let me get the numbers on him. Trey Lance, over the weekend, was 5 of 14. And he had 128 yards. He was sacked four times. And he had a 93.7 quarterback rating. Okay. Here's what you're seeing when you see Trey Lance. You're seeing a guy that just hasn't played a lot of football. I mean, over the last two years, we're talking about a guy that's got a handful of completions. I mean, you have to go to YouTube to watch some of the, plays that he's made when he was at North Dakota State. There weren't a lot of them. I think he played one game last year. And then before that, he played a little bit. So the action that he got this past weekend, 5-14, 128, sacked four times, I said it in the open when we were talking about the young quarterbacks. When, when, you're, when you're a quarterback and you're young like this, you've got tunnel vision here. And all you're seeing is you're seeing it through binoculars. They're really great quarterbacks. Bill Walsh told me this years ago. And there's a fundamental way of developing quarterbacks. Why do you think they rolled Montana right all the time? Do you guys have any idea why they rolled Montana right? That was Joe's favorite place to go, was rolling right. And Joe, knowing that, do you understand why they rolled him right? Well, Walsh told me they wanted him to manage. Instead of being in the middle of the field, they wanted him to manage half the field. Plus, you have the sideline for any errors. That's why Montana, even the the great pass that he went uh, through to Clark, the catch, he was rolling right, and he threw it over Ed Jones, and he threw it over Everson Walls. He catches it in the back of the end zone. He was rolling right. Walls, that's how he developed. As Joe got better, Joe sat more in the pocket in the middle of the field that's when you become a weapon. When Aaron Rodgers is in the middle of the field and Aaron Rodgers is doing this, it's almost undefensible. These great quarterbacks, when they're, when they're dropping back, I got a great picture of me sacking Joe. Not that easy sacking Joe because he was a rhythm guy. One, two, three, and he threw it. I posted it on my um, Twitter page at Dan Silio show, me sacking Montana. Joe, man, he, one, two, three, he would look, boom, 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 throw the ball was great on his feet. But as Joe got better, Joe was more in the middle of the field. And that's how he developed them. They don't really do that any longer because a lot of kids are getting in the shotgun today. And so when a lot of kids are in shotgun, you know, you don't have to really make those big steps. You're already doing what you're doing is, though you're tipping it off and you're tipping the D line off and they're just pinning their ears coming after you. And if you don't see that, but when you're younger, you're like this. You're like this, and that's why you can't see the sack. That's why when you see a quarterback giving up pressure up the middle, like we saw with Trey Lance, Trey Lance gave up four sacks. It's because he's not very comfortable in the pocket. That's not because he's not good in the pocket. That's just because he hasn't had a lot of playing time over the last two years. Over the last two years, like I said, we're talking about a kid. That's completed around 25 passes. That's not a lot. And he's the third pick in the NFL draft. You must see a lot of athleticism. I can't tell you, and by the way, I'm not going to dispute what Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are doing here. I respect both of these guys. I know both of these men. And if they see a lot in Trey Lance to move up to take the Dolphin pick, and to make them the heir apparent or him the heir parent for the 49ers, there's got to be something that they see inside the player's skill set that they believe that he's going to end up being that guy. See, I'm not one of these guys that's going to go like this. First exhibition game, this guy sucked. That's not what I'm doing here. The things that I saw, he was inaccurate. He didn't see good – he wasn't very good at dealing with pressure. That's a young guy's deal. I I brought this up about, you know, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, one of the reasons why Baker Mayfield struggled his first couple years in the NFL was because Baker Mayfield lacked a little courage in the pocket. That's okay. It's a common theme with a lot of young players. You got to sit back in that pocket, and you got these horses that are coming after you to try to take your head off. And you've got to show your teammates – that you're going to stand in that pocket and win ball games, you got to show your teammates that you're going to get hit. What's the first thing that young players do? They take off. They break the play down. You know, the first thing, what breaks a play down the most is not good coverage. What Blake breaks the play down the most is a quarterback taking off and taking off running because then it's all on him. All you could do is block, and remember, if you're down the field, you're a receiver, you're a running back, your back is to the player. You don't know if he's taking off. So you 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 contaminate the play when you do that. That's why Trey Lance has got to be more patient in the pocket. Now, another guy, like I said with Jalen Ertz, you've got to play these guys to find out. Now, Here's the one thing, too, that's a true advantage today compared to in the past with these young guys. Because of the new collective bargaining agreement, You can play these guys and find out if these guys can play or not. You can find out immediately, like they did in Arizona. When they realized that Josh Rosen sucked and that he wasn't good enough, what did Steve Kine, the general manager of the Cardinals, do? They pulled the rip plug on that thing. Cliff Kingsbury went like this. This guy's not the dude, man. He is not the dude. We need to get a guy in here. That's going to help us out in the old line The old line if you remember right, with Arizona was not very good. Well, when you don't have a very good offensive line, you've got to have a mobile guy. Maybe another one of the reasons why Jalen's playing. Because Carson Wentz wasn't very mobile the last two years. And when you're moving guys all the line of scrimmage to new positions and you're trying to fill gaps, that's another area that the, that the uh, Eagles need to address Next year's offseason, I doubt you'll find them, but maybe you have to do it in the draft. You need some more old linemen. You're old linemen right now. You're getting old, and they've got a lot of miles on them. They need some new dudes inside that room. Kid from Bama, okay, be all right. But you've got to get some new dudes inside that room if you're going to be a team that's going to get better at that position, at the quarterback position, when you do end up finding that guy. So, again, circle back one more time here to Trey Lance. They got a long way to go with him. That is a long way to go. Um, I did not see. But the one play that he made, he rolled right, threw it across his body. Very athletic football play. No question about it. But when it came to sitting back in the pocket, he was one of the guys that I thought that truly struggled. Um, this past weekend as one of the young guys He did man, he had troubles reading that defense And he had troubles Really all over the field Alright, we are going to talk with our friend Howard Eskin from WIP In Philadelphia And I'm going to get his sense of where we are Right now as we're getting ready for Maybe one of the most important Preseasons for Jalen Hurts uh, Exhibition game Two and three coming up We got to find out if this kid can play or not Nick Sirianni's first week I thought it was pretty good We'll see what Howard thinks And we'll get his spin On where they go next What do they do? Go after Foals? Bring them in? Maybe not We'll find out From the electric one Howard Eskin That's next right here On the National Football Show I get scared
1: sometimes
5: Of a lot of things
4: Joining in
5: Decisions The dark
2: Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, pure bull dry rub, and our favorite, Huckenfot. What's that? Huckenfot. Go now to steersnacks.com. Welcome to the
7: Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all.
9: It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome
3: back to the National Football Show. Dan Silio. Howard Eskin from WIP will join us in a couple minutes. Tell you what, that Jalen Waddle can play. Dolphins look like they got a playmaker. They dropped him on some special teams. And I said this in the last hour about Chris Greer, the general manager, and Brian Flores, the head coach of the Dolphins. That's a well coached football team. They're going to win some ball games. I thought Tucker Viola looked okay. I didn't think he was, you know, over his skis. I thought he had a better understanding of the offense. You know, again, Everybody's being very critical of him. Now, that's a good thing. I'm going to tell you why. When people are being critical like that of you, they're expecting big things from you. If you're some undrafted free agent guy, and all of a sudden you become Tony Romo, dude, that is just way over your skis successful. That's awesome. Nobody expected Tony Romo to be that guy. Nobody expected Kurt Warner after being cut Nobody expected James Harrison to be a superstar after being cut as many times as he was. You know, he was cut like three or four times, was James Harrison. And he's probably going to be going to Canton, Ohio soon. Great linebacker from the Steelers. So, you know, the Dolphins are doing a lot of good things here. And I, I, I have to hand it to Steve Ross, the owner of the Dolphins here. He had been known also as a meddling type owner. But he's allowed Chris Greer, the GM, and Brian Flores to really run their own shop here a bit. You know, when they got down there, I think this was a couple of years ago, when they ended up beating Philadelphia and Seattle later in the year, and they had nobody on that football team, and they were winning ball games in the final part of the season. I started saying this. That's a well-coached football team. Now, look, we've had some Miami Dolphin people on that have covered the team, Armando Salguero, From the Miami Herald, we've had Kim Camper, who's part of the broadcast team. And everybody's in agreement. you got to win games. And you got to win playoff games. But the big question going in, just like it with a lot of other teams, is what's going on at the quarterback position? Hey, here's another football team that had question marks at that quarterback position and whether or not Tua Viola was going to be the guy or not. Remember what I told you at the beginning of the broadcast, too? And I've been telling you this since they said this got to give it again to Brian Flores here. He has steadfast with this too as our guy and he's not deviated from it. He's saying, and you know what? He's being critical. But when you're doing this, it's a really brilliant coaching mentality. When you tell a guy, you're my guy, that means you can be critical and you could say anything that you need to be said about the guy's play. You know, they were asking him questions, Brian Flores today after practice and They said, how do you think Tua played? He goes, hey, I thought he played well. We've got to clean up some things. He still has to be able to have a little bit more patience in the pocket back there. But at the end of the day here, um, we thought he played well. I thought he played well. And when you add another playmaker into the offense here in Jalen Waddell, that's pretty impressive. That's a pretty good impressive um, display there for the Dolphins. Dolphins are going to be a good football team. Well-coached football team, by the way. Uh, by um, by Brian Flores and also uh, Chris Greer, the general manager. All right, let's let's take you to Philly here. And the only there's only one person I I talk Philly football with, and that's my friend Howard Eskin from WIP. And Howard, I appreciate you coming aboard. Thank you so much, my friend. Howard, you there? Let's see if we can get a better connection here with our friend from WIP. We'll get it. We'll get it connected here. This is what I say about about Sirianni here. Um, I thought he did a nice job when it came to, you know, coaching the football team. There were not a lot of pre um, pre snap issues, but my question is on how you're coaching Jalen Hurts. You saw a lot of these other rookie guys getting a lot of snaps, as I said. Justin Fields, he ended up having two quarters of football. Trevor Lawrence played a lot of football. And to me, that is where I think the Eagles have to be right now is getting him as many reps as he possibly can get to see whether or not he is going to be the guy to truly go forward and being the guy that could be the face of this franchise. This will be the number one question for the next couple weeks. And then if you're Howie Roseman, you have to decide this, okay? Is he the guy? Let's see if we're connected with our friend, Howard Eskin. How you doing, Howard?
11: I'm doing great. How are you, Dan?
3: All right, Howard. I want to start you out with this here. You know, you and I, I, I think, are in the same boat here when it comes to Urban Liar and that. You know, I think he's going to struggle as a head coach in the National Football League. And I watched that Jacks team. And it was just all over the place. It wasn't a very good-looking football team when it came to coordination on the sidelines, a lot of pre-snap penalties. What did you think of Sirianni's first um, game, being able to manage it? Now, look, you really can't judge too much from a preseason, but you can learn some things from a preseason. And what did you learn a little bit from Nick in his first outing?
11: Well, uh, it seemed like he had everything under control, didn't overreact, You know, being on the sidelines, I kind of kept an eye on him when I could. And uh, just to kind of see his body language and see how he was. But I thought he was fine. Uh, I got excited on a play that Joe Flacco threw for a 79-yard touchdown. Uh, But any coach would do that. Uh, I just think he handled himself well. The coaches were under control. The whole staff seemed like they were under control. Uh, It's just like they didn't play enough of the first and second team enough. And then the defense, whatever players were in there, third and fourth stringers in the second half. But the wins and losses, as you well know, mean absolutely nothing. But I thought Nick Sirianni did a uh, I thought he did a good job of the way he handled himself and he ran and he managed the football game.
3: And and I'm going to get to the negative side of it, but I do want to throw out the positive on what you just said. You know, something I took away, you know, this guy's got the goalpost to the back of his quarterback's back, and he's throwing plus 25 plays out of the end zone. And I was thinking to myself, is he going to have a wide open type offense? I mean, didn't look like a lot of fear there. Now, again, it's exhibition football, but this looks like he wants to have a big play type offense. Do you agree?
11: Uh, I think he does. He says he's going to run the ball a lot, but what do I think he's going to do? Maybe he said he's going to use the running backs a lot, because I think they're, you're going to have a lot of pass plays with the running backs. Now remember, what he's doing now and what every coach is doing now is so vanilla. You're not going to show anything, but uh, but if he's got guys to make big plays, and that would be Devontae Smith when he comes back, and he. He practiced a little bit today in one-on-one drills. So he should be coming back. I believe it was a knee injury. And maybe practice again a little bit tomorrow and a little bit. They scrimmage. They're scrimmaging against the Patriots now. Next week they scrimmage against the Jets before their game. Uh, But he's got – if if he plays well, if Jalen Rager is anything what a first-round pick is supposed to be, uh, then you look at him. And and then you just – There are players there that can make plays. So I think that's what you're looking at. Quez Watkins, everybody's all excited about, was a fourth-round draft pick last year, and he was the one that scored the touchdown. So if they have the people that can do it, I think he will do it. Uh, you got to score points. These days of winning 17 to 14 games, that doesn't work anymore. That rarely works you got to score points. And if you don't get 20 points, you're going to lose a lot of games. So I think you got to get in the mid to high 20s to win games nowadays. And, and I think he recognizes that. And remember, he's an offensive coach who coach wide receivers, and he loves that part of the game.
3: Absolutely. And I'm. let me get to this part here. You know, I watched Justin Fields play two quarters. I saw some of the other young guys getting out there, getting a lot of reps. What do you make of the way that they're playing – Uh, Jalen Ertz here. I I said this, and maybe you think I'm wrong, Howard. I think this guy needs to play as many quarters as he possibly can. Now, I get the quarterback room in Philadelphia is a little bit suspect when you got Joe Flacco as a fallback in case something happens to Jalen. But, I mean, Sirianni hasn't even committed, at least publicly, in saying that he's my guy going forward 2021. I mean, why wouldn't you think that you would want to see this guy? Would you agree that exhibition games two and three are going to tell us a lot on what he thinks of Jalen Hurts, because I think these are big exhibition games for him.
11: I'm telling you what, don't count on it. Because I would bet, and I have talked to no one yet, just, you know, kind of just offhanded conversation, that if Jalen Hurts plays more than one series on Thursday night against the Patriots, I would be absolutely shocked. It ain't happening. They're scrimmaging two days against them. They're going to see what they need to see. Okay. He's not going to get hit uh, in these scrimmages and people aren't going to get hit. I mean, you, you make contact, but you don't get hit. Uh, no, I don't think he's going to play a lot. And I, because they're scrimmaging against the jets, even though there's two weeks between that last game and the opening of the season. Now with only three games, I would be shocked if he even plays against the jets Now, the only pressure they have, uh, they have uh, the station that televises the games only does the preseason games, and obviously they want Jalen Hurts to play. Uh, Thursday night, the Eagles fans uh, that are paying for tickets want Jalen Hurts to play. If you're only playing one series, what the hell's the difference? He's not going to play. They're going to find out what this guy can do in practice, and they're not going to find out maybe enough until the regular season starts the first week in Atlanta. So I would be surprised if Jalen hurts plays more than one series on Thursday, I would be surprised if he plays more than one series in the final game against at the jets. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play at all because they're scrimmaging against these teams. So I don't know what you've seen from Jalen hurts. He played well today in the scrimmage, uh, I can't tell whether the Patriots defense just played that poorly. Bill Belichick's not really showing anything because he knows how to cheat better than anybody, so he's worried <laughs> about other people taking uh, t- taking uh, things that he, he runs, defenses that he runs in practice. So I don't know if they just, even uh, both in the two-minute drill, hurts to a nice touchdown pass with basically four seconds left in, in the two-minute drill, and they, they run the clock. And then uh, Flacco threw a, a really great pass to the corner for a touchdown in his two-minute drill, and the Patriots didn't score on their two-minute drills. Uh, Cam Newton is is a fraud. Uh, I I think he's just he's Cam Newton on reputation. I don't. Uh, Mac Jones was was okay today, but none of them were terrific on the Patriots on offense. But nonetheless, Jalen Hurts did play well. Uh, in the scrimmage today and again it's a scrimmage and i want to see more in real action and games and i don't know how much we're going to see on thursday night but you really want to see but the fact that nick seriani doesn't name he uses this excuse that he wants everybody to compete well you're not going to tell fletcher cox uh that he's not starting at the defensive tackle spot that ain't happening but the reality is I think they're protecting themselves just in case there would have been a trade for a quarterback. And I I don't think anything's going to happen for a while. Uh, And the only quarterback's name that would be out there would be Sean Watson. But I don't think anything's going to happen for a while because I don't think that that's going to be taken care of for a while. So I don't know what's going to go on, but he's plays with the number ones. He starts the game. He's the starter. It's that simple, regardless of what Nick Ceriani says.
3: Howard, do you think they're getting more out of these, these scrimmages? And let me let me tell you, I've, I've been in these scrimmages, and we usually scrimmage like when I was with the Cowboys. We would scrimmage the Chargers and play the Chargers that weekend, or we would play the Raiders, scrimmage the Raiders all week long, play them that weekend too. So you're, you think they're getting more of a understanding of what they have with their roster right now with these – you know, predetermined uh, series, you know, they stop the play. No one's getting hurt. Like you said, they're all controlled, these controlled scrimmages. You think the Eagles are getting more out of that than what they're going to get out of the exhibition season?
11: Yeah, I've been told by coaches for at least the last couple of years, we see more from a player in practice than we do in the preseason games. Uh, And then when you play the backups, remember, they're playing against backups and the backups to the backups and players that aren't even going to make the teams. So I, I don't know, like Joe Flacco played really well in the game on Thursday night. But who's he playing against? But the thing that, the one thing that Joe Flacco did, he checked out of the play at the line of scrimmage on the Quez uh, Watkins touchdown. So he saw something through that little bubble screen, and Quez Watkins has a lot of speed. So he did a good job checking out of a play. But other than that, what do you see in... Uh, Jalen Hurts in one of the plays in the game checked out of a play on a pass to Dallas Goddard, the tight end. I uh, I don't know what you see in the game, and I do because they don't play enough. But no, no, I, I,
3: again, that's my that's my problem with the whole thing is that, and I don't know if you agree with me or not agree with me, Howard. I mean, a guy like that, this guy's not Tom Brady. This guy needs reps. I mean, he needs reps with the ones. I mean. I mean, if you're getting him in scrimmages, okay, I guess so. But in game situations, I mean, I saw him against Washington last year. He was terrible. I mean, he, he has accuracy issues. And now it's a brand-new offense from the Doug Peterson offense of a year ago. I mean, do you agree with Wade way coaching him?
11: Yeah, I don't know to disagree because I don't know what they're seeing after practice is over and they go up and look at the tape. I don't know what they hell we're seeing. Uh, Got it. So, uh, and that's part of the issue. What What are they looking at? Uh, Jalen Hurts obviously feels confident. He felt good about today. Uh, Nick Sariani speaks tomorrow morning. Uh, I, again, I I can't tell you other than he completes passes. He threw one interception today. Jalen Hurts did, but they see. I, I really do believe. Here's part of the other problem. The Eagles have. I'll say an older offensive line. From the center, Jason Kelsey, to uh, the right guard in Brandon Brooks, to the right tackle, Lane Johnson. They're older. They're all in their 30s. Uh, Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks are coming off of injuries for the last couple of years. Uh, Jason Kelsey played through every injury last year. So in a game, you have more chance to get hurt. Not now, they're going to expect these guys if they don't play the last 17 games, but that's that's another issue for probably another day. Now, I, I guess that's what everybody does. Hey, Buffalo didn't play any of their starters. Yeah, true. Uh, and there's a lot of teams that didn't play any of their starters. You know, that's, that's, and there's only three exhibition games. So uh, uh, this is the way it is. This is the new world of the NFL. I don't even know why they have exhibition games other than the, to, to make money. And that's it. It's They didn't have exhibition games last year. It didn't seem to affect the season. What affected the season is COVID, not the exhibition games. So in two years, they're going to have another uh, – they're going to have only two exhibition games and an extra regular season game. That's what's going to happen. I can see it coming. And eventually, they'll try to figure out a way to make all these games regular season games because there's more money in it. It's that simple. It's that simple. So I, I – Howard,
3: going into the year, we talked so much about the offense. How, how good is that defense heading into this year? Again, last year, I thought they had troubles in the secondary. I thought they had troubles on getting people on the ground, obviously, too. I mean, have they um, rectified those issues from this past offseason? Do you think health, was that an issue also a year ago in this group coming back? How do you see this defense going into 2021?
11: Well, they have some new players on defense, too. Uh the linebackers are there's a couple of new linebackers, there's new defensive backs. Uh they have I'm trying to think who they brought in. There's nobody new on the defensive line that I can think. Of. I mean there's new people, but not uh not anybody that I would consider the main guys. The player that's playing really well for them, he was a fifth, I believe it was a fifth round pick two years ago is Josh. Sweat. It was either Florida or Florida State. That he came out of and he is really really playing well on the defensive end, really playing well but they like to rotate to keep players fresh. but you now I, I don't think injuries especially right now. you have a list of injuries. You know the guy that i kind of I don't know where he is the right word that I would think about a little bit. They signed Ryan Carrigan the former uh, I was going to say the former Washington football team player. Uh, they signed him, and he had surgery on his stump. Now, where is he at, what, 31 years old? Where is he at this point in his career? And you're really not going to be able to find a lot of that out. But he's not coming back from injury, but, you know, he's an older player who now had an injury in camp, and they hardly even, they hardly even played. So uh, that's the only one that I can really think about. There's other injuries, but nothing uh, – nothing serious, uh, like a six-month injury or a season-end injury, nothing like that, which I've heard there are obviously a few around the NFL.
3: Final question for you, Howard. I've been talking to some of my Hall of Fame friends. I had Jared Bell on just, uh, last Friday. Uh, we had a bunch of guys uh, that were, like, uh, talking about potential guys going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. you think Dick Vermeule's a Hall of Fame player, a Hall of Fame coach?
11: Uh, I know Dick really well, and the longevity, uh, he had success. He only won one Super Bowl, and I know people, Dan Marino won none. Dan Marino was one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. Uh, Yeah, I think with some of the people that get in, uh, and the Pro Football Hall of Fame is a lot tougher than baseball. Baseball has become a joke. Uh, It's kind of sad, some of the players that are in. But, yeah, I would say Dick Vermeil is over the edge on being a Hall of Fame, a Hall of Famer. Just the fact that you can coach that many years and he had success with a lot of teams, yes, I think he's uh, he's been to, what, two Super Bowls. He won one, and he's had success with a lot of teams. I would say Dick Vermeil is a smart football guy. And, yeah, I think he's a Hall of Famer. He's just over the edge, for that think he's all man.
3: Howard. They were what saying they- that when they when he they were saying when he took over that Eagle team, that the Eagles, it was probably one of the worst eras of football prior to when he took over. Is that true? When he took over that Eagles team, that it was one of the worst shapes that in, in the franchise in the last 50 years.
11: Yeah, I would say, well, let not the let 50 you go back to the 70s, you had guys named Jerry Williams and Eddie Kaye they were head coaches. Were brutal. Uh, they were just. I don't think Buddy Ryan was a good head coach. Good, good coordinator. Not a good head coach. May he rest in peace. Um, I'm trying to think who the heck did Dick Vermeil take over for in 19? Was it Campbell? Uh, was it? Was it Campbell? Oh, yeah, Marion Campbell. Right. He came over Marion Campbell. who Was not. Was a wonderful guy. Terrific guy. Not a good head coach. Not a good head coach. Uh, uh, now, you know what? I don't know. I think, now, wait a minute. I think Marion Campbell, because that was 70. Dick Vermeule took over in, like, 76. No, I yeah. think Marion Campbell took over, for Dick, took over when Dick, uh, okay. Dick Vermeule died. I mean, get your crap I don't have something in front of me to check that. Who the heck was the coach for the Eagle? Oh, it was I think it was Mike McCormick. I think Mike, Mike McCormick, McCormick was it was. The, yes, and I think, and Mike... His biggest mistake, and this was so funny, one day, this is when, uh, you know, there were, there were really good sound bites, or really good quotes from coaches and players. He said, our players played like a bunch of dogs. set at one game, and the Eagles fans, in their inimitable style, brought out big dog bones the next game, <laughs> held dog bones in his stands had full cans, cans of dog food. And they threw them at the players coming off the field. That was the end. Between the dog bones, throwing the little dog bones, and holding up the big dog bones, and then throwing the full cans of dog food, that can hurt somebody. Uh, that was what you call the dogs. He was done. But that was not a good year of Eagles football. So.
3: That's funny stuff there, Howard. Howard, I I appreciate so much you doing this, dude. I mean, you're always my favorite. Have a great day, my friend. Thank you, Howard. My pleasure. You got it. take care. That is my friend Howard Eskin there. Okay. We're going to take a brief timeout. Sorry for the connection a little bit there. We'll reset. You keep it right here on the National Football Show.
5: I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things.
4: Joining in
9: There's Strong, and then there's Army Strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com.
3: Welcome back. National Football Show. Dan silly Sorry about the technical difficulties with the audio there. I think it's kind of where Howard was. He, at his place, I think his backyard's not the best reception. So we'll straighten that out. He's promised to come on the show a whole boatload of times during the regular season. So we'll be checking in with WIP's legend, Howard Eskin, all throughout the year. So we'll catch up again there. You know, he did say something about, you know, the organized practices that you're seeing more so with these football teams today than, you know, using the exhibition season. I really do think the NFL coaches. And the players despise these exhibition games. You know, these practices, as you heard them say, they were scrimmaging the Patriots today, were the Eagles. And you get more out of those organized practices than you do actually out of a game, because you can stop and coach at that moment. And I've always said this too. I don't know why the NFL Network or these networks don't televise these practices. You know, it's open to the public, most of these practices. You know, I mean, those organized scrimmages. When I was in Dallas, I'm trying to think. When I was in Tampa, we used to scrimmage the um, – because the Jags weren't around yet when I came into the league in 87. Um, we used to scrimmage the Dolphins. And we'd go down to their place, and they would come up to our place, and we would scrimmage and then we would play a football game. Like We would scrimmage on a Saturday, then we would scrimmage on a Wednesday – and then we would play them on a Saturday. And when I was in Dallas, we would scrimmage the Chargers sake because we had our camp at Thousand Oaks, California. And we would scrimmage the Chargers from Wednesday to Friday and then play a game on Saturday against them. And we would, we would do the same thing with the Raiders. We would go down to Oxnard. And I think that's actually where the Cowboys practice now is Oxnard. At the old Raider facility, believe it or not. It's like a Radisson that's there and what we would do is we would practice from Wednesday all the way to Friday and then we they were playing in the coliseum i believe at the time the la coliseum funny huh i played the raiders at the la coliseum and i played the rams uh in the regular season in anaheim they were no longer at the um uh, at the la coliseum so anyway but that's we got more out of those practices because coaches could stop and i and i could see that today I think the NFL should air those, and you're still going to get a boatload of people that are going to watch that stuff because people are just freaking out. The ratings for this past weekend for the NFL Exhibition Game 1 were over the top. You know the Summer League thing with the NBA and Major League Baseball? Nowhere, nowhere on the landscape when it came to television ratings. All of these exhibition games got huge numbers in all their respective markets because people love football. You know, like, you know, when you watch the NFL draft and you are watching the draft and you don't know who these guys are that are going in rounds four and five, six and seven, you have no idea who they are. You've never seen some of these guys from Lac, Wisconsin, or whomever they are. It's the same kind of thing with these players that are playing in – um the exhibition season, but people just love football, man. That's what this is. All right. Howard brought something up though, you know, cause he got a chance to watch the Patriots scrimmaging. Now he's right. The Patriots aren't going to show a lot because they got a game this weekend and they're going to play against the Eagles this weekend. So you're not going to see a lot. Bill's going to be as vanilla as he possibly can. You're going to see weird formations. The players are not going to be put in a position so that, The Eagles can see what they're going to throw at them this weekend. That's not who Bill is. Bill's going to be practicing all the things, quite frankly, that you won't see this weekend. And he's going to be practicing all weaknesses. And so that's probably why the Patriots didn't look all that hot. But he did make a point, and we made this point coming on the air. And that was Cam Newton needs to have a gigantic camp. He needs to show. Now look. Mac Jones is going to be the quarterback for that football team. He's going to be the quarterback. It's just a matter of what the date is. When you draft a guy in the first round and he's at that position, he's going to get an opportunity to quarterback that football team. It's just what the, it's just what the selection predicates. You don't waste a first – it's Bill's first and only first-round quarterback he has ever drafted in the National Football League. So that guy's date is out there somewhere. The Patriots just don't know when or if it's going to be the opener in September. That's why Cam has to show. And and for the record, okay, so according to Howard Eskin, we're not going to see Jalen Ertz a lot in the exhibition season. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, he said that, you know, just being around him, they're not going to see Jalen play a lot. He goes, if he plays at all in these next couple games, it's going to be sparingly. I think that's a mistake. I think you need – how do you prepare for a season when you're not practicing? Now, we're talking about these organized practices he must be getting a lot of reps and that's what he's saying that in these organized team practices like against you know the patriots and eventually against the jets and the teams that he's going to be scrimmaging against you're getting a lot of work in that conversation to get yourself ready for the upcoming season not much of a game plan though it's not game environment and i thought that that was that was a little bit weird but howard said that he watched cam and he goes he's a fraud right now Cam Newton is a shell of what he was in 2015 when he was the league's most valuable player. Cam was a spectacular player. I voted for him for the Heisman Trophy, and I thought he was one of the best college football players at that position I have ever seen in college football history. But all the years of being beat up down in Carolina, I'm starting to believe what these guys are saying about him. I, I really think he needs to have a really strong camp to keep that job or they're going to put Mac Jones in as the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots as we get ready for September. All right. I want to thank my boy, Krause, Big Joe. Thank you guys. Again, if you missed any of the show, go over to the Jacob media channel and you can follow us. You can like us. We really appreciate it tomorrow on the show. We will talk to the legendary ice cube. You know, he's a big Raider fan, right? And he's a big NFL fan. We'll talk some big three basketball. We'll do all that stuff. Hey, maybe he's got a spot for Ben Simmons. That'll be tomorrow, 4 to 6 Eastern. We'll catch you on the flip side.
1: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more,